This episode was edited by Deadset Podcasting. If you want your podcast to sound this good, check out deadsetpodcasting.com forward slash services. Get the sound you're chasing. If you or a loved one need mental health assistance or are experiencing a mental health crisis, call Lifeline 24-7 on 13 11 14. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of FYI, All Things Mental Wellness. This week's a little bit different. We've actually got a guest host with us today. Good morning, Sarah. Good morning. Thanks for having me. And our special guest this morning is somebody that Sarah's going to introduce for us. So take it away, mate. Yeah, well, today's guest is someone who will be familiar to anyone who's listened to this podcast before. Proudly, her greatest passion is uh, her family, and she loves nothing better than spending time with family and friends. And on the weekend, she loves watching her sport. She particularly loves watching her son play cricket and football. She also loves soccer. And she spent 10 years playing soccer for Myrtleford. It should also be noted that she loves her birthplace of Myrtleford and celebrates her Italian heritage with gusto. She has an infectious personality and an instantly recognisable laugh and is one of the most loyal friends you could ask for. Funny, generous, kind and extremely empathetic. Today's guest is a passionate advocate for mental wellness, which leads, uh, which, well, which led her to start this very podcast. And I'm very excited to say that today she's sharing her own story. So a very warm welcome to Nadia Deneen. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Bernie. What's it like sitting in the other chair? I don't like it. <laughs> Other than the chair is really big. I mean, the guest chair, which is double the size, which is probably fitting. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know that I'm very comfortable at the moment. But anyway, we'll see how we go. Thanks, guys. We'll roll along. I mean, it's a good thing. It's a nice dynamic. And I think good on you for sitting in that chair and sharing your story with everybody else because. You know, we talked about this earlier where not too many people know us and, well, lots of people in Myrtleford area and around know Nards because she is an infectious kind of person, but nobody really knows us and our story. So why are we sitting around in this particular environment and, you know, having a chat to other people? What makes us so in tune with what's going on? So thank you for sitting in and having a chat with us and, and sharing your story as we go forwards. And, you know, it's just a little insight. I think that's going to be a bit of fun. Yeah, and and I think all good things come from a little bit of discomfort. I think that's where we grow and that's where we move from. So I'm, um, can I just say as your friend, like I'm super proud of you. Like I I think what you guys are doing is amazing. But now to actually take yourself away from the comfort of this blue chair, which is a very comfortable blue chair, by the way, (laughs) um, and to make yourself um, that little bit vulnerable to sort of share your story, I think is fantastic. So tell us firstly, why do you think it's important that you share your story with people? Well, I think for Sarah is, you know, a lot of people that don't particularly know me well have danced around the idea of why did you do it, which it is a little random. So, you know, Bernie and I gave it a a lot of thought and I thought, well, yeah, look, I probably need to um, get my story out there for not only that reason, um, I'm a, a true believer in um, in in becoming vulnerable and 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 sharing our stories because on a personal level that really helped me through a lot of hard and tough times was um, gravitating to to others that had a similar journey that were going through a journey or had overcome a similar journey. So. I think it's a pretty good form of therapy, to be honest. Mm. And even building from that, not just sort of for people who could recognise their own story in you, but to hear the story of someone else that they may know and to help them recognise maybe some of the signs, but also some of the ways that they can help these people. Absolutely. It is, you know, so many people, once they found out what, what I'd gone through, are like, Really? God, and this is what I thought you were like. You were, you know, confident and um, happy and had your life together. And so I guess it, it's it's becoming a, li- a little bit more well-known now that, that quite often those types of people are the ones that do struggle. Mm. Um, so, yeah, you're, you're 100% correct. Yeah. yeah. Putting, putting a right. mask up is, is a common thing for mm. people correct. to do, um, no matter what 
um, their life is like. Um, but most most often, if you've an anxious personality or if you're if you're not sure about the world, you're going to put on some sort of a bravado kind of face, aren't you? For sure, for sure. And again, you know, I bang on about this a lot, but but our our age bracket and how we were read and the environment that we were read, you know, wasn't cool. It, you know, not everybody did it, and I don't mean cool in 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 that sense at all. But I, I guess where I come from and and my age demographics has a lot to do with with masking a lot. Yeah. So when you said not everyone did it and it wasn't cool, what do you mean? Well, there was a lot of people struggling, you know, I know that. And I'm sure there were plenty that that I wasn't aware of either. So I guess in the sense of there was plenty of people struggling with mental ill health, whether it was in the form of, you know, anxiety, social anxiety, depression, whatever it was that that masked it. Mm. And, yeah, whether we knew or whether we didn't know that there was plenty out there. So that's what I mean by that. Yeah, cool. Mm. So you mentioned, obviously, growing up in Myrtleford and your generation and all of those kind of things. I've just read a book about uh, Italian migration to Myrtleford, which is absolutely fascinating. But can you take us all the way back? And I don't mean that facetiously because we're a very similar age. But can you take us back (laughs) to your childhood and sort of give us a little bit of an insight into what life was like growing up for you in Myrtleford? Sure. So... Grew up in Myrtleford. I'm, I'm one of five children. Um, my parents migrated from Italy. My mum was, was quite young. She was a very early teen and, and dad wasn't a lot older. They met in Australia, ironically, married, had five kids. Life growing up was great. Um, you know, it, it's been said a million times before, we didn't have much, but we didn't want for much. It wasn't until, you know, we were probably in our early teens that we started realising things that perhaps we didn't have that others had. But prior to that, we all had each other and we had a great life and family was was number one and it was great. I, I guess I probably am guessing where you're going with, with this question, Sarah, but yeah, okay, life was great. But from a very, very young age, I knew something wasn't quite right. So, you know, I guess up until, you know, I started kinder probably, I should say, my whole entire year of kinder, I'd walk in, mum would walk me in, I'd kick and scream and cry, she'd leave and I'd sit in the corner for the whole day of kinder. When we'd have um, story time, I'd sneak up to the back of the mat behind everyone. I'd listen to the story and I'd run back to the corner and that's exactly where I'd be when mum would come pick me up. So that was my kinder year. Primary school, I think I got a little bit better at, at mixing and, and, and uh, being a little bit more social. But heading into high school, things changed a little bit, I guess. That's where I sort of noticed more internally that what I was feeling wasn't normal. And I guess, unfortunately, then started a bit of a cycle of I wasn't a very nice person, predominantly at school. It it never really happened out of school, I don't think, anyway. But I I guess, looking at it retrospectively, I was anxious. I knew I couldn't do the things or go the places that others were going. So I resorted to, I guess, in today's terminology, would be bullying. So, uh, and, you know, again, looking at it retrospectively, it came from a place of, I don't want them to know what I'm going through. So let's shift the focus on to someone else, make people laugh, as sad as that is, and the attention's off me. And that went on for a few years in high school. And and that in itself then caused another issue because I'd go home and I'd be absolutely devastated with myself. I'd be beating myself up. Why don't I do that? Why am I so awful to them? And and then started that internal um, fight, I guess. But to understand too, a, a question I've been asked a lot and it, and it relates back to my upbringing is, and it's probably a little funny side of it too, my parents migrated. They came here with nothing. And when I say nothing, I mean zip nothing. You know, my mum, to give you an insight, I think she came over with her dad and two other siblings. Her mother and the other three or four siblings stayed back in Italy because that's 
all they could afford to get over. So they'd come over here, they'd work day and night at the age of 13 and 14, no education, saved enough money, sent it back, and the next one or two would come out. So there was a lot of fear, as you can imagine, a lot of uncertainty. They didn't know the language, foreign country, and fast forward a long we come. But my mum in particular was so dramatic, and it all come from a place of of care. You know, for instance, we'd be riding our bike, you know, we'd me and Laura, my the, the sibling closest to me, we'd take off on our bikes and mum would be like yelling out the door, be careful you don't go too close to the road because a car will hit you and you'll die. We're like, oh, right, wow. You know, when you go to the river, swim together because if one of you dry, die, drown and die, who's going to come out and pull you out of the river? Yes. <laughs> you yeah. know, and we laugh about about it now. You know, we talk and think, Christ, no wonder we grew up with so many <laughs> fears and it was so graphic um and at the time it was in in one ear and out the other but obviously it it, it sat in that unconscious mind yeah of, was that a language uh, thing though was that was she speaking to you in italian or was she speaking to you in, in italian English? Right. No, no, no. okay so in it's not a, it's so it not it was, a translation was, thing no right. no it was all italian it was just at home and it still is yeah it was just her bernie yeah and it was it was from a, a place of love and care, they Absolutely. just they yeah. just wanted to keep us all safe. But mm. my God, but and she's then, blunt. Yeah, it's very blunt, and it's it's very um, well in her own mind. It was very factual that yep. you know yes. I could very well get hit by a car <laughs> yes. and die on the side of the road. No one to find me, and you know, and I laugh now, and I do think it's quite funny, but. I guess it's a bit of conditioning as well and it's, you know, it's not a blame game or, or, or anything like that, but it's it's understanding where I come from, I guess, yeah. and, and the fear that was around growing up. But anyway. Because lots of parents would have that same fear. We just all express it differently. Mm. Correct. So we might very well say, when you're going out swimming, swim together because you don't want to drown. Yep. But some parents may not let you go. Yeah, you know, well, they may say you're not going down. So um, your mother was probably not doing anything different for, from anybody else. I just wanted to backtrack a little. So the youngest of the five children you were? Correct. Yeah, so you had four older siblings that were obviously influencing you as well. Yep. So, you know, so we talk a lot about nature versus nurture, so it's really interesting to see that you recognise that part of your mother's nurturing but what positive characteristics and qualities and values do you think you got from growing up, you know, a second generation Italian in a predominantly sort of migrant area, et cetera? Mm -hmm. Oh, a lot, Sarah. The love of family and that family is everything because, you know, these guys come out from Italy and they didn't even know how to speak the language. Yeah. Like, you know, nothing at all. So I guess that togetherness, the family first, um, loyalty, loyalty to family, friends, you know, a, a lot of other things, you know, obviously a lot of the great things that come with um, with being Italian, the great cooking and, um, <laughs> yeah, those sorts of things. But th that that's the big one and that was sort of instilled predominantly from my parents and my grandparents, aunts, uncles, it was, you know, I remember every Sunday for, for as long as I could remember being a kid, every Sunday we all congregated to my grandparents' house and we'd sit under the grapevine and, you know, we'd eat fresh grapes and figs off the trees and we'd walk around the corner to the local swimming pool, but we'd all go back to my grandparents' house and there was cousins and aunties and uncles and it was just, yeah, fantastic. It was, like I said, a great upbringing. It was different and I, I probably should touch on that, you know, when I got to my teenage years, the things that I noticed that maybe we didn't have was, you know, we didn't go on the annual holidays like all my Aussie friends, you know, they'd go on family holidays and I think we went on one big family holiday and I'll never forget it. It was fantastic and we went with family. But Deep down, it didn't actually bother me because I started then to see the things that we had that my Aussie friends didn't have and started, you know, because we were that little bit older, they were sort of envious of us that we were so close. And 
you know, my parents were still together and we had lots of siblings that loved one another and cousins that were always congregating together. And, you know, my, my friends would be in awe of that. So I guess looking at what you've got and what you don't have and being grateful for what you've got sort of pulls you through that, I guess, at those in those vulnerable years. Hey, do you reckon um, being the baby mm-hmm. in the family, did you always have to try to keep up? Did you have to catch up? Did you have to – were you not – were you enough um, in your own mind? Because my eldest two siblings were a fair bit older than me, I didn't really find that. I was better than them at most things anyway, so I didn't really (laughs) – The youngest will always tell you that. Uh, Well, the the older ones tell me I was the most spoilt, but I certainly don't think that was true. I think by the time mum and dad got to me, they were over the discipline and the do this and do that. And that's the spoiled bit that that the older kids see. Correct. And often they've got a little bit more money – Free yeah. money around, so you do time. get things put time. on. Time, yeah, exactly. and that was the big one. I think was mum and dad had more time. Yeah, that's right. But yeah, I mean, I did look up to them, of course, you know. And being that older, you know, Franca had a job and she had a nice car and she had a boyfriend and and those sorts of things. You know, you 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 really looked at those sorts of things and. And admired them. My brother was the same, Rob, and my sister, Mari, you know, they were working. And Laura and I were are a lot closer in age. There's only three years between us. So I guess, you know, we, we, we had a lot of um, more closer time together. Laura was different to me. I was more the sporty type. Laura wasn't. So, but yeah, certainly looked up to them and admired them. But I don't know that I ever... There was ever any. You weren't chasing the gratification. No, you weren't chasing no. the love. No, the love mum and dad. Look, that's that's one thing I can yeah say wholeheartedly. There was never any, and still isn't. We're all equal, you know. If if you go to mum's and she gives you six figs, she'll give you a bag with six figs for Mara and six figs for Laura. It's all very even. Yes. Um, so yeah, no, certainly not Bernie, and that's the thing that. You know, when I I finally, you know, um, I suppose early days got the diagnosis of of having anxiety, those were the things that really bloody pissed me off. I'm thinking, how the hell did I get this? You know, I had unreal parents, loving, supportive. I had great siblings. I had awesome friends. I had a loving environment. I just, yeah, that, that frustrated me and still... To this day, I, I sometimes look back on it, you know, if you have a bad day or whatever, you go, far out, what the hell have I got to be so anxious about, you know? And nowadays, I've got a great husband, great kid, I've got a job that I love. and But, yeah, it's more than that. And I think, you know, we, we've all grown over these years and we know it's more than that, but it does come back to frustrate the hell out of you sometimes. You said early on, how early was it when you Righto, so, were officially diagnosed? Yep. Like I said, I I knew I had it as a very young teenager, but one, I couldn't articulate it either. I couldn't explain it to anybody, but I fell pregnant with Mitch and probably about halfway through my pregnancy, I started experiencing these freak outs, as I'd call them, had no idea they were called panic attacks and I was just starting to freak out. I'm going, oh yeah, okay, so... It must be because I'm worrying about pregnancy or um, it must just be a feeling that's coming with being pregnant. Anyway, put up with them. Didn't even tell Dave the first couple of times, but like anything, you try and mask. It it didn't get better and it got quite bad. And I actually remember telling my mum one day and she said, oh, my God, I had that. I had the exact same thing. And, And actually, I can't remember who she said she had it worse with when she was carrying one of us, but it wasn't me. Anyway, so I sort of went on from there, went to the doctor after a little while and and the doctor said, oh, look, that's very, very common. You know, you're a first-time mum. I said, yeah, but I'm not consciously worried about pregnancy or or becoming a mum and all the responsibilities that go with it. You know, I'm not consciously thinking about that. Anyway, he sort of let me go and gave me some, I suppose, strategies, you know, deep breathing, relax, try to distract yourself and... Yeah, I went home. Things didn't get better. So off I go back, go to the doctor and, and I just said, oh, I can't do this. I can't, 
Anyway, so we got me in and we had a good chat and we discussed a few things we could do post-pregnancy. So there, there was nothing medication-wise that he could do for me. So off I go and I had Mitch and life was great. You know, what one might say the distraction of this, you know, mm-hmm. beautiful gift we'd been given. And But fast forward, so I was good as gold, no panic attacks, got a little anxious at times, but... That's parenting. Correct. <laughs> yeah, that's just life. It doesn't that's matter right. whether they're one day old or 25 years old. Yeah, yeah we know that now, don't we? Mm. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that's right. But anyway, I, I remember this particular day, me, one of my sisters and my auntie were going to a funeral in Melbourne. So, and this is really big because if you know me and, and my my driving issues, I drove to Melbourne. I oh. drove, I said, come Mara, I'll drive, took took my sister, took my auntie and off we go to Melbourne to my uncle's funeral and I'm driving away and as we do us country bumpkins, we got lost and I mean we got lost. We were going around in circles and anyway, it it got to a point where we got stuck in a bit of a traffic jam. We're on the Westgate Bridge and, you know, tyres are up there. You know, we're, we're on a slant basically on the bridge and... I just sat there and all of a sudden this overwhelming feeling come upon me and it was a full-on panic attack. I'm thinking, oh, my God, what, what, what am I going to do? I'm stuck. I can't go anywhere. Oh, my God, how do I tell my sister? How do I tell my auntie? And I, I just had to. I couldn't do it. I've gone, um, girls, I'm really sorry, but I'm having a really, really bad panic attack. And, you know, my sister starts going, what do you mean you're having a panic attack? You can't have a panic attack now. Oh, my God, we're on the Westgate Bridge. And, ah. <laughs> I don't need that right now. Just just <laughs> shut up. I know what's going on. And my auntie's in the back going, it's okay, Nadi. Put your handbrake on. Put your parkas on. Breathe. Wind down your window. You know, yeah. Good head, bad head mm-hmm. happening. And it all come from a place of care, yeah. of course. Yes. And um, anyway, I, I, I somehow got through it. I pushed on. We get over the Westgate Bridge and, you know, I'm going, oh, my God, we're not going to get to the sur- – we're not going to get to the burial. We're not going to get to the service. not going to get to the wake. We were that late. But anyway, got through, got home. And I guess once I got home, then life changed as I knew it. And I guess, you know, when I answer that question, Bernie, I think, yeah, I did have it. And I did have some panic attacks carrying Mitch. But I think that was where I made my attachment to a panic attack and the car. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes, right. Just can I just ask though, going back a little sort of bit further, because you talked about being anxious as a child, going to kindergarten, starting school, you talked about some of your anxieties as a teenager and what you would do to sort of, you know, take the attention away from yourself, those sorts of things. Do you now recognise those as part of this anxiety? Absolutely. Yep. So you can sort of see that the fear is is fear. Yeah. And look, I can still remember that fear of um, kindergarten. It's funny. I, I can't remember what I did last week, but I can remember that fear was, um, well, I didn't want mum to go. I wanted mum to be by my side the whole, the whole time. But... Um, I guess the fear then changed and um, as an adolescent it become more about probably a lot more familiar to what it was as an adult, not wanting to veer too far from my comfort zone, the key people in my life. So yeah, I mean, sorry Sarah, but to answer that question, Absolutely, but the fear changed. So yeah. obviously, you're, you're young, you, your crutch, if if you are anxious, is a parent, quite often is a parent. Um, and then moving forward was probably humiliation, not wanting anyone to recognise that I was needing those crutches still. Yeah, yeah. And can I just say, don't apologise. Isn't it funny that when we cry, one of the first thing we say is sorry? Mm-hmm. And I just, I've listened to you um, during this and I'm listening to all this laughter. We never apologise for laughing. So please That's don't. That's true. So, so don't apologise. We're just so grateful that you're sharing. And I think it's really important that people can hear all the different ways that anxiety manifests. 
And your journey is showing us that the manifestation of your anxiety has changed. Do you mind if you're comfortable sharing with us how anxiety manifests in your body? Like mm-hmm. what you start to, to feel? So, yeah, for me, and I guess it, it's, it changes as well or it has changed for me. I can only talk about my experience. But mine was um, it always a- affected my throat, my mouth. So when I started becoming anxious, I'd get a dry mouth to the point it would get to I couldn't swallow and then it was a breathing type issue, I guess, but it was all around that breathing, mouth, um, throat, and then with that then came the lightheadedness, I'm going to faint, I'm going to pass out. So, yeah, that that was big for me. I, I went through a little bit of a stage, I think, when I was younger where it was really tummy. It was, I feel sick. Uh, I feel like I'm I'm going to vomit, um, but it was more really deep stomach. Whereas as I got older and and even still today, it's that mouth, it's the throat, it's the it's the swallowing, and and those that know me very well know I very rarely go anywhere from a distance without water. So that's a that's a big crutch for me. Um, Actually, it's a funny story now that I've mentioned water (laughs) and I was chatting to a very good friend of mine, Franca, and I was telling her I was coming on to do this podcast today and she said, can you please tell them some of the funny side of of anxiety, some (laughs) of the funny things that that you've done? And I said, yeah, right. (laughs) Yes, please do. (laughs) I just think it's relevant. Um, Sarah and Bernie, because of, you know, I've, I've told you now, one of my crutches are that I carry water when I'm, you know, at a distance from home or or with someone that, that is my crutch. But um, I was driving home from Myrtleford one night. And again, it, it's the funny side. I'm only taking the piss out of myself and, and no one else. But if anyone can relate to it, fantastic. When I look back, I go, what the hell was I doing driving home from Myrtleford at two o'clock on, in the morning, being the only person in the car that could drive, which was me, because the other person was Dave and he was pissed because we just we just left my brother-in-law's 60th birthday or yeah, 50th birthday, maybe it was, 50th, sorry. And um, anyway, I did. I jumped in the car and everyone's going, Stace, ah, no, she's right, I'll drive. So anyway, we get people that know the road between Myrtleford and, and Wodonga. I got to Mudjigonga and, oh, my God, the throat dries up. I couldn't swallow. The panic, I've pulled over. I've gone, Dave, I can't do it. I can't get any further. We, we're just going to have to pull over on the side of the road. I don't know what we're going to do. And he's like, no, 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 keep going, you know. He was, you know, all of a sudden sobered right up and he was trying <laughs> to help me get through it. But anyway... The story is I pushed through. I thought, nah, that's it. Oh, and by the way, I had no water. I was in Mudjigonga. It was 2 o'clock in the morning. It was pitch black. I thought, oh, my God, where in the hell am I going to get water? I couldn't turn around. I'd felt the fear. Yeah. I was too far gone to go back, but I was too far from home to go forward. So anyway, I'm going, if I see a light on, in a house, I'm going to drive up and David's going, you are not going to do it. I said, bullshit. I said, if I see a light on at a house, I'm going to drive up and I'm just going to tell them, they're going to understand. They're going, they are not going to understand. They're going to call the cops. Don't be silly. Get in the car. <laughs> anyway, we're having this argument. Anyway, he got me through. I don't know how, but I got to Yak and Danda. I was a nervous wreck. It probably took us what would normally be a 20-minute drive, probably took us about an hour to get to Yak. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I pull up to the Yak and Danda um, toilet block there, you know, the park, and I had no bottle. I had I had nothing in the car that I could put water in. Now, remember, I've got to get from Yak to Wodonga. Again, normally a 20-minute drive. It was probably going to take me another hour if I didn't have water. You know, flapping around in the car and I couldn't find anything. It's pitch black. I wasn't going to pick up an old bottle in a bin and fill that up, even though it crossed my mind. <laughs> um, so I got the ashtray out of my car. <laughs> Were you smoking at the time? No. 
Right. Uh, yes. 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 But I never use I n- never smoke. Well, just right. That's yes. Yeah. Oh no, my dad's going to know I smoke now if he listens to this podcast. <laughs> Thanks, Bernie. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I thought it's the ashtray. Dave's going, "Don't be ridiculous." But it's not that gross cuz the ashtray was never used. Right. <laughs> but that's how desperate I was. I got the ashtray, I walked out, I fill it with water. I'm tiptoeing back to the car trying not to spill a drop. <laughs> I know. It's <laughs> bloody stupid. Yeah. And I strategically place it in the centre console and I start <laughs> driving. I know. It's so – this is how – I just picture you doing all of that and then drop the clutch and the whole thing's dropped <laughs> everywhere. Oh, no, I was very, very careful. Wow. But I'm driving – and for you of you that can probably imagine right now the park that I'm talking about, pretty much in the centre of Yak, I guess, on the rise. I take off, hit bit of dirt road and the water splashing around <laughs> everywhere. And, and I was literally dabbing my hands in that ashtray and wetting my mouth just to get through. Yes. It was desperate and, you know, look, I'm not going to lie now that I've really let down my guard. You know, I've been known to wind the window down, put the wipers on, get some water out of the wipers. It's interesting how the the correlation of water is just that most minuscule thing for you. Mm. The the most quantity-wise is minuscule, but it has a massive impact on your ability to proceed. Mm. Absolutely. Is that similar to, we talked about this a little while ago, is that anxiety in the car where the whole blow-up, doll thing came from where you <laughs> now that we're still on the funny side of anxiety <laughs> we might as well oh well just tell them bernie well <laughs> nards and i were driving at one point and she said could you we got to go across and we're going to do our podcast could you could you would you like to come with me so yeah that'd be awesome thanks mate yeah come pick me up that'd be all on the way over she shared with me she said I, i'm not really being all that nice i really don't like driving on my own you know, my, and at that point, you know, anxiety, we hadn't really talked about things. And she said at one stage there, was it Dave who came up with the idea of having I a, think so. Having, having a, <laughs> so when Nards drives by herself, they talked about having a little blow up doll. <laughs> so you can imagine blow up boy, Bob, sitting in the passenger seat as Nards drives along, chatting away, happy days. <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? It's, it's funny, but it's... Important. It's important to latch on to, not latch on to, but to find something that helps you cope, isn't it? And for you, it's the water in the car or when you're traveling further away. And and for other people, there'll be many different things that they can pick up to help them. And I don't like the word crutch because I don't think it's a crutch. It might be a skyhook, on the other hand, to just pick you up and help you get to where you need to be, where you can then become a hell of a lot more comfortable. And like you said, do your deep breathing, find find yourself again and then focus and be able to move Mm. forwards. And I guess, you know, we're all about tips and tricks as we go on. You know, the biggest thing there, and I tell anyone, and I'm sure there'll be people listening that go, oh, I do remember Nadia telling me that. The the worst thing that I ever did through the whole journey of of, of anxiety was attach my fear with a car Mm -hmm. because – it was debilitating and still is. Well, that's not something you did on purpose. And when you say, you know, the worst thing that you've done, you didn't do that. That was situational and it happened randomly to you. Yeah, no, but I guess I then attached my anxiety and my fear to the car. And, you know, I'm a hell of a lot better. I got here today on my own without a blow-up doll. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know... <laughs> I've come a long, long way. Look, I, I can tell you endless stories. You know, driving to Melbourne, get halfway to Melbourne, Dave's got to drive home to take me home. But is is that something that you say you've learned ways to get past that? Did you get Correct. Help, did you get help? I to, did get help to get it those probably, tricks. You know, and again, I'm it's it's purely my experience, but. Yeah, you know, that, that's all I can share with you. But I, I remember the first time I got referred to a psychologist, basically walked in, first appointment, and it was all information gathering. Now, I was a person at that time pregnant with my second child 
massive, massive panic attacks, couldn't cope, um, got as low as considering termination. Um, and all he did was gathered information. And I'm sitting there. I, again, this was my first ever experience with a mental health expert. And, you know, they sent me straight up the train, chain to a psychiatrist. And all he wanted for his 150, 200 bucks was wanting to know my family dynamics. And that I walked out of there. I was gutted. I couldn't work. I couldn't function. I was considering termination. I was so dejected. Anyhow, I'd set up an appointment time to go and see him the very next week again because I was considered acute. So I waltz in and he basically starts again. And again, looking at it retrospectively and having the knowledge that I have 20 years down the track, he then starts making suggestions of, okay, so you're one of five, you're the youngest So did you feel left out, forgotten? Anyway, I put up with it, put up with it. I'm quite proud of myself now because back then I had no idea. I walked out, I said, look, I can't do it. I'm actually getting more anxious being here and I I can't remember what else I said. I walked out, I paid my bill and out I walked and I thought that is frigging crap. That did not help at all. I needed tools. I needed tools and strategies there. And then who gives a shit why I got it? Who cares that I was one of five at that time? And again, you know, these are my words. I just wanted you to help me get through the day, get through the week, get through this pregnancy. So one would say my experience with a psychiatrist didn't go very well at all. Fast forward, unfortunately, um, it ended up being a topic pregnancy and, you know, I couldn't have any more children and that, that that was the way that, you know, my my life was meant to go. But then I engaged in a psychologist and, look, I, I did have some um, success. But again, oh, what was frustrating me is I was acute. I couldn't work. I wasn't sleeping. I wasn't functioning. I was absent. And I think I said in our, you know, intro to the whole podcast, I'll, I'll never forget this day, someone had give, given me the name of this counsellor and like I'm talking months ago, so God knows why I held on to it for so long and never called her. And they said, look, she specialises in anxiety. She's, she's a psychotherapist. She was she was a sufferer herself. She's fantastic, been seen her for ages. So anyway, finally got the courage, made the appointment. And I remember walking in, sitting down, and and I was sceptical. I'm sitting here thinking, far out. You know, I'm going nuts because if a psychiatrist couldn't help me and a psychologist couldn't help me, and and by then I tried some anti-anxiety meds, I tried, you know, even Valium and things like that, and things weren't working. They, they just weren't. They they I couldn't even say they were masking anything. I was probably just as anxious as I was before. So I'm thinking, you know, so I was skeptical. Dave drives me over, drops me off, walk in, sitting across the room, and she goes, Radio, well, what why are you here? Hi, what why are you here today? And I just go, blah, 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 blah. I'm anxious, I can't drive and da, da, da. I'm telling her all this stuff, just blurting it out. And she's sitting there nodding at me and and, and even sometimes she was almost finishing my sentences when I started crying and was inconsolable and thinking, oh, far out, she's good. She can actually read my mind because she was. She was honestly finishing my sentences and I couldn't believe it. For me, that was the start of some form of recovery, I guess, because I did. I walked out of there and I had some tools straight away. You know, yeah, the GP and and the psychologist did give me some tools, but I walked out of there skipping, going, you know, I I think I can get through today and I think I can get through tomorrow and and there was light. So I'm a big, big um, believer in you've got to find the right person for yourself. Yeah, because you're not saying, um, and I'm sorry you've had such a terrible experience, but you're certainly not saying that, Psychiatrists are no good. Psychologists no. are no good. It's it's finding the right Correct. person yep. to meet your need. And yep. right then, you were acute. 
and you needed that help because I, I liken it to if you go to the hairdresser, you don't like that hairdresser, you find someone else. You don't mm-hmm. say all hairdressers are bad, do you? No, yeah, certainly it's finding not, that Sarah. connection. Yeah, a- absolutely. Yeah. For no um, no part of me is saying that at all. Mm. Um, again, me, that's it must have been what I needed. Yeah, I, I yeah. needed that immediate help, you know. I think I got to her probably a little bit too late in the sense that <laughs> I had to give up my job. That's something that I wanted to ask you too was, do you reckon it was timing? So what you've been talking about is, you know, you were in very acute circumstances when you went seeking professional help. For sure. And at that time, you were absolutely and expected to be fixed on the spot. As we all do, when we go to the doctors of any description, we want to be fixed on the spot. And we've all now learned that that's not possible for any kind of non-physical illness. And I suppose as a recommendation for people after what you've been through, would you say if you're feeling not right, as you called it, and you're not quite there and the spark's not there, early on, have a chat to somebody Bloody before oath. the acuteness takes over. Bloody oath. That's your yep. big advice, yeah. Yep. Here's your billboard. Nah, I've got a big, massive right, we'll billboard. Get to that. I've got so much on that billboard. <laughs> I've got one for every country. <laughs> Absolutely, Bernie, it is the key. If you're not feeling right, doesn't matter. You don't, you don't have to self-diagnose. You don't have to doctor Google it. If you're just not feeling right, go to the GP. Start there. Quite often, a GP may be enough for you. You know, it's that chat. It's that you know, some tools. It's absolutely don't wait. Um, Certainly don't wait for as long as I waited. But to answer that and your question too, Sarah, it was a combination of everything. It was the psychotherapist worked for me. It was a timing thing, no doubt. Maybe her as being a pre, you know, or a sufferer of anxiety herself that may have worked for her. So she's gone, bang, here are some tools, get through the day, get through the week. And I'm guessing a little bit too, you knew that she'd been through Correct. something. So there was a, a connection there to start with. You were yeah. comfortable when you walked through that door to begin with. Yep. So finding somebody that has that connection with you is is very powerful. Absolutely. Because your mind's already at rest and you're ready to listen to what they say. Even if they had said to you, now tell me, you're one of five, you might have gone, yeah, I yeah, am, actually. And this is my story. Yeah. A little bit different to that, I need it now kind of thing. Correct. It, it broke down that barrier, which is awesome. Yeah, no, you're right. And and absolutely, I guess, again, I'm a big advocate of, of sharing that commonality. Hello, that's why we're here. You know, it, it's that bit of credibility. It's a bit like someone going, oh, I understand how you feel because you've uh, been retrenched. Well, no, you don't because you've never been retrenched. Or whatever it may mm. be, it's 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 sharing something. And when someone does genuinely say, "I know how you feel," you go, "Wow, yeah, you do." And and you probably do listen that little bit, and you are a bit more attentive to what they've got to say. Absolutely. But do you know what? I got to a stage where I was at my worst. I had to wait for Dave, my husband, to come home from work at lunchtime, poor Dave, to get the mail out of the mailbox, bring it in with me, take me for a walk outside, get some fresh air, and he'd go back to work and I'd sit inside till he come home. You know, that was at my worst. At my worst, I couldn't drive, a full stop. I couldn't even drive, I don't know, a K and a half around the corner to drop Mitch off at school or pick Mitch up from school. So... I was, you know, chucked in my job, couldn't do my job anymore, took away my my car that come with it, which, you know, becomes a part of you, I guess, your job to a certain degree. And I did love my job. That was all taken away. But as as silly as it sounds, you know, for me, hitting rock bottom was probably what I needed. It made me look at things like maybe I couldn't handle that pressure of a job at the time yeah at that time and at that time I was mobile lending there there was a lot of demands a lot of 
you know, what, what banks are like. They want more. They want more. There's a lot of pressure with sales targets and things like that. And that's right, Sarah, at that time, it wasn't for me. And, and in hindsight, thank God I left the bank. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but, I mean, the bank was very good to me. But, yeah, I'd, I'd long stayed my welcome there. But... Yeah, absolutely. It's it's it's. I think a lot of it's timing, and I think for some, hitting that rock bottom really makes you as vulnerable as you can be, and you and you're open to more. Um, but I just hope people don't wait to hit rock bottom either, because this day and age, opposed to twenty years ago, there is far too much help out there to wait. You know, and there's a lot of services. There's a lot of online help. There, there is so much out there that really, there's no no excuse to hit rock bottom. True. I think there, there's a lot of um, help. True. Before we get to your message that you'd really like to get yep. out, your billboard to everybody, yep. I want to ask you a quick question. Yeah. Which could become a twenty minute answer. I'm sorry, Josh. Um, <laughs> we got time. We got plenty of time. Um, Mitch. Yep. Beautiful young man, clearly a product of beautiful parents and his environment. As you went through your journey, as hellish as it was, how did you manage that with Mitch? Because he's very in touch with how things work. He seems to be, you know, your relationship that I've seen with you and him is best friends and, and, you know, yeah, you're the mum and, and the leader, but, and clearly you care for him. He's your son. And as all of our children, we care for them massively. Can you walk me through how you were feeling at the time and thinking of Mitch at the same time? That's a very hard question. And you've made me very, very upset <laughs> in a good way, of course. Um, I guess I made it my job to not hide it. I I wanted him to see, and I knew from a very young age that I needed to share some things with him, and I was careful, you know, because I've been been struggling with this for 22 years. Um, I was very mindful when he was quite young that I, I kept most of it from him. But as he got a little bit older, when I couldn't bring him to school and he's going, Mum, can can you bring me today? Uh, I started explaining I don't feel comfortable in driving. I get a little bit nervous, you know. So I started telling him stuff when he was young. But as he got older, I mean, I just – I started declaring card by card by card. I didn't want to hide it. I knew that it was it was me. It, it wasn't I wasn't defined by it, but it was it was part of my life. He saw it firsthand that I couldn't pick him up, I couldn't drop him off. Um, you know, things like I had to have water. Dave had to come with me. We'd be halfway to Melbourne. David had to turn around and drive me home and dad would be working and well, why can't you and I go to the park or why can't you and I go to Myrtleford? I'd, I'd have to explain. I wasn't going to hold it back from him. But what I also shared with him, which I think is the key, is what I was doing and the people that I was engaging, the services and, and the help to give him hope as well, I guess, to see that there is help and I am getting better because I'm nowhere near where I was 16, 17 years ago. And thankfully, um, he's turned out all right. (laughs) And he has turned out all right. (laughs) He sure has. And he is so, so understanding of uh, mental health. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's Which a I guess gift. makes me very, very proud because he too, no doubt, has had friends that have struggled yep. and, and understands it more. So the whole thing, you know, hopefully he's a better person for it. Mm. And and if he ever struggles, you know, he can draw back on, on the skills and um, – And maybe he can have that conversation with you quite easily too if he struggles. That's he can right. come to you. Shit way to have to learn how to give a gift to it somebody. Is. But a, but a wonderful gift to be it able is. to give, I think. And I, I think, too, that that's part of the reason he probably is who he is today. It's part of the reason why I am today. I of mean, course. 
you know, like I said earlier, Sarah, I was not proud of who I was in high school, who I was becoming. Thank Christ I'm, you know, not a part of that anymore. But I think in some twisted way, I am such a better person for it. I think it's, you know, I've become that raw, you know, not being able to walk out your front door and take 12 steps. There's, there's a lot of coming back from that. So. Life, life builds us nuts. You, you don't have a, a model that you are. When you walk, you wake up in the morning, there is no set model of who you are. You are a different person at stages during that one day, let alone your whole life. Yeah. So you life moulds you as you go. Yeah, it does. It's how you then take that moulding and, and carry on with it. You either leave stuff behind or you and other things you pick up and you run with and yeah. that makes you who you are. Oh, and, you know, I remember, Bernie, and Dave would get so cross with me. I'm going, oh, I feel really good now. I'm getting better. Um, gee, I want to help people. Maybe I should uh, write a book. Maybe I should, um, you know, start a group. Maybe I should do this. Maybe I... Dave's going, nah, get yourself right. And then, you know, so, you know, and here we are today. And I mean, I'm, I'm living my dream, I guess. I, I'm trying to, you know, not see anybody that I know go through what I went through. Because as, as much as I'm better, I'm, I'm a dribbling mess at the moment, of course, because you've made me very emotional. <laughs> and, and remembering how bad it was, life is fantastic now. Is a perfect nah. <laughs> Interesting. You, say, you said, Dave, said, no, nah, it's get yourself better before you go and do all these other things. Correct. That might take forever. So Correct. be careful that you are never going to be the perfect person you think you could be for sure none of us ever will be no. that's that's no. you know crazy talk yeah um but you are a better version of what you were before i think so and from what you've learned you can now take that and, and hopefully share and help other people like you are correct which all courage and power to you thanks yeah no it's um it is a journey and it seems like instead of being 47, I feel like I'm at 107 when I talk about <laughs> it. But it's not all that bad. So anyone listening, yeah, you, you have some shit crap days, times, oh. months, weeks, but there is light and there is help and you, you've just got to look for it and grasp it and keep working and, and searching to your find the right thing for you because everyone is different. Um, and, of course, anyone that knows me, please feel free to reach out because if I could help anyone, I certainly would help. Can I just ask you then, yeah. you've talked a bit about, um, well, you talked a lot about yourself. Two quick questions. One, what do you unequivocally know to be true about yourself? And the Sarah, other one, hang on a minute. Can you use words I understand, <laughs> please? Get your teacher hat off. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> what do you know to be true about yourself that you don't doubt, Nadia? And I'd also like to know what you think is the biggest misconception that people might have about you that you get to correct. What was the first question again? <laughs> Which version do you want, version one or two? Uh, um, so what thing do you know to be yeah. unequivocally true about yourself? Um... I'm honest and loyal. That that would be my two, I guess. I'd like to say tall, thin. <laughs> <laughs> no, you wouldn't. You want to talk the qualities, I think. Yeah, so much that's right. No, I just yeah. think – and things I, I try to pride myself on and I've – both Dave and I have instilled in Mitch is, is just being honest and loyal to family, friends, wh whoever, to everyone, I guess, being honest and loyal – and um, just being yourself, being true to yourself. Yep. And misconception? Of myself. I hope there's no one there sitting there thinking she was really nasty to me at school because I do apologise and reach out if I was because I will apologise um, individually and personally. I'm not confident and centre of attention and, and got it all together. Um some days I have, <laughs> some <laughs> days I do, but misconception is what we see on the outside is not what's going on in the inside and and vice versa too, I guess. I think that's that, that can be a misconception f about me or about anyone. I'm confident in, in some aspects in life and, you know, a, a little bit of a 
of you know information for everyone sometimes we we need to take a little bit more care with those types of personalities yep righto do you want my billboard yep. i've been paying for this yeah if i could tell you one of my biggest things nadia don't lead the conversation oh, sorry you're sorry the, you're sorry i'm such a control freak you are nadia can yes. we ask you Yes. If you had a message to tell the world, if we gave you a billboard to put something on, what would you like to put on your billboard? Well, I don't want one billboard. Oh I God. want that many billboards in every town, corner, country. <laughs> I just want them everywhere. There's so many. But there's an acronym that a dear friend of mine um, told me so many years ago, and I, I just tell everybody, and, and still to this day when I do get fearful, I still draw on it, and that's fear, false evidence appearing real. But there's another one, and it's, you know, it's <laughs> it's been my mantra, I guess, for a hell of a long time, because I guess I fell into this trap, and, and I'm guessing so do so many people. We think we're almost defined by our mental ill health or, or whatever you want to refer to it as or, or anything in life that we may have gone through. But we can't go back and change the past, but we can start today and create a new future. Okay. I like that. Mm. I do. Mm. You are not <laughs> defined by your past. No. Yeah. The future is everything. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. No worries. Yeah, thank you. I think that's going to help lots and lots of people. Definitely. Oh, no, she's giving us instructions, Bernie. No, I I'm think, not giving uh, any instructions. <laughs> have, you, have you forgotten something? There's always a forget. No, no, we've always got our, our final five questions. We've got to roll those through. Sarah, oh, really? Well, Sarah, actually, did you throw in a couple of new ones that you'd like? No, I, I'm happy. To, I don't want to mess with uh, what Nadia and you have set up. <laughs> Everybody's starting to I don't these. like surprises. We're going to have to, going to have to change them a bit because it'll be just such a, a big thing. Right, I'm going to change them a bit. Okay. Nadia, yeah. whiskey or gin? <laughs> Is that even a question? <laughs> gin Thank and any you. type of gin. Text or call? Depends. I'd much rather call. And for people that know me, I do so many calls when I'm driving. Don't know whether that's got to do with the fear either. <laughs> it's a be. distraction probably. Definitely prefer to call, but there is a place for texting, of course. With friends, high five or hug? Oh, hug every day of the week. However... I have one friend, Sonia, who thinks that I don't like hugging and she's probably helped me get to be that way a little bit more. But again, depending on the friend, but yeah, nah, hug, definitely. I'm a wog. That's what we do. <laughs> mm. um, Facebook or Insta? Facebook, but I want to be into Insta. You're but too I'm old. Yeah, I know. And I'm crap at Doesn't it. Work. Sarah could probably give me some tips. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, this will be fun. High school or adult life? Right. I would like to go back to high school <laughs> and be who I am today. Wouldn't we all? Yeah. And but, know what you know. Yeah, know what I know today. But look, there was parts of both that I love. I loved high school for certain things. But no, I love adult life. I got the best husband and the best child. So yeah, no, no, and stay where I am. <laughs> best work colleagues. <laughs> best work colleagues, best friends, yes, best uh, recorders. Right, this will be telling. Scrunch or fold? Scrunch. I couldn't wait to say that. I don't really think people fold. I think they just say they fold. <laughs> you, know, you know, I'm going to just say to that, I was in my 20s when I realised that not everybody folded. <laughs> Can I just say that? Oh, there you go. I, I've toilet trained three children. <laughs> I taught them to fold. I had no idea that people scrunched until I was in my 20s. Isn't that bizarre? So we're we're, we're friends. We're good friends. Yes. We're so uh, Sometimes opposites are a good thing. <laughs> yeah. uh, I had a friend, uh, ex-military friend, and yep. he showed me a way that they were taught to fold a single piece of toilet paper so that it lasted several goes. Oh, that's <laughs> good. I know. But wow. Folders. They're, yeah, they're weird. Sorry, Sarah. They're weird. <laughs> Thank you, Sarah, for coming in My today and being pleasure. our guest host. It was fantastic. Thank you for inviting me. Um, yeah, it was thanks, good fun Sarah. too. And Nard's for sharing. 
for being who you are. Thank you. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. And again, to reiterate what Bernie said, thank you, Sarah. When we looked for someone to be me, <laughs> I didn't go past you for, for many reasons. So I'm I'm very, very thankful. And you Thank almost you so much. came up to honor. her standard. <laughs> I wouldn't even try. It's okay. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Right, well done. Cheers. Woo-hoo. Thanks, Nard. This episode was edited by Deadset Podcasting. If you want your podcast to sound this good, check out deadsetpodcasting.com forward slash services. Get the sound you're chasing.